Well, we have a lot of material to cover today, so we're going to kind of jump right into it, okay? Um, anybody remember what we said the big question is for this week? Something's kind of just been lingering out there as we've been talking about the plagues, but we haven't really talked about. Yeah? Ah, that's a great question. Um, maybe one for another day. But yeah, why would the, the whole setting apart of Israel for some plagues but not other plagues? Yeah, that's, that's one that I have not had time to wrestle with yet, but that's a good one. Yeah? Yeah, it's the next column over, Pharaoh's heart, okay? What is going on with Pharaoh's heart? Why is Pharaoh's heart being hardened? And it has huge implications as we think about really big topics like predestination, free will, that kind of thing, okay? So we're going to jump into that today and hopefully cover some good ground. Um, So quick review, we made this big (coughs) worksheet thing two weeks ago. We were just kind of getting our head around the plagues. Anybody remember your acronym for how you remember the plagues? <laughs> oh come on! I was supposed to help you to remember. Yes. Yes, that's what it was. Excellent. Big friendly giant flies low because he loves dead dogs. Yuck. <laughs> Which is an appropriate ex- feeling when we're talking about the plagues. Okay, so good. Um, and then we said, you know, was there a warning? Yes, yes, no. Yes, yes, no. Yes, yes, no. Uh, Egyptian court. Remember that the court replicates the first plague. Okay, so Moses turns the Nile into blood, and they're like, oh, look, we can do it too. Now there's more blood. And then they replicate the second one, you know, frogs everywhere, and then more frogs. And then uh, the third one, they can't replicate it. Then we don't hear from them for two plagues. And then the sixth plague, they can't even appear before Moses because of the boils on their skin. Then the next one with the hail, it says some of them feared the word of the Lord. Then the next one, they urge Pharaoh to let Israel go. And then finally in the 10th plague, Pharaoh and the court lets Israel go, okay? Is Israel set apart? We don't hear really for the first three, and then yes for the next four. Don't hear anything for locusts, and then yes for the next two. And then Pharaoh's heart, okay? Last week, our topic was the purpose of the plagues. Why is God doing this? What's the point? And the big idea from last week is wrapped up in Exodus 7, 5, which says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So the big idea is God does these plagues so that we would know what kind of a God he is. He's a God who judges his enemies and he's a God who saves his people. Okay, that's why we have these plagues. He's the one true God. He's the God who is powerful and present among his people. And so now the question is, well, how does God accomplish this? Well, he obviously accomplishes it through the plagues. But even more so, he accomplishes it through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. The reason there are ten plagues and not two or five or seven is because he hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he can keep giving plague after plague after plague. Because with each plague, his reality of who he is and his power and his judgment and is able to save is made clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. Culminating in the last plague, right, where there's a sacrifice to save those inside the house. And we'll get to that next week. 
So just to get your minds thinking in this direction, I'm going to give you just a couple minutes with the person next to you um, to answer this question, okay? Have you guys, you've probably heard this question posed before. I don't know if you've had time to answer it. But do we have free will to choose where we will go after our life ends or are all predestined to go either to heaven or to hell? Okay, so I'm not necessarily saying this is the best way to phrase this question, but this is usually how the question is phrased. And so, person next to you, read the question and just start kicking up thoughts. What do you guys think about that? Go. Give me a thought. What's it with one thought on the subject? Yeah, Spencer. You have, you have the choice to, it's up to you whether you go or not, but God already knows what you chose. Okay. So you have the free will to do so, but he already knows what you choose. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts on it? Everyone's in agreement with Spencer. Wow, that is a first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an excellent way of putting it. That's almost exactly how I would answer it. Um, but we'll get there when we get there in just a few minutes, okay? So let's talk about Pharaoh's heart, okay? So the first question we need to answer this morning is, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Who did it? And so let's start by looking at the evidence that we find in Scripture, okay? So just for you guys, I'm, I put a lot of it on the screen so you can, uh, we can move quickly, okay? So we're going to go in the order that the word harden comes in Exodus, okay? So back in Exodus chapter four, this is when Moses is at the burning bush talking to God. God tells Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. So that's God talking. Exodus 7.3, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. 7.13, it says that his heart was hardened. 7.14, his heart is hardened. 7.22, his heart remained hardened. And then 8.15, it says he, meaning Pharaoh, hardened his heart. Now, notice that's the first time we hear that, right? First time we hear that Pharaoh hardened his heart. His heart was hardened, the next instance. And then Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then his heart was hardened. And then the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. 
And then he, Pharaoh, sinned yet again and hardened his own heart. And his heart was hardened. Then the Lord, uh, I, the Lord, have hardened his heart, God says in chapter 10. Again, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Again, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Again, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then we, oh no, have to do it all over again. So. Okay. Is there one more? I can't remember. No, that's the last one. Okay. Uh, okay. I think that's the last one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there there are more, but it's not. Okay. Pretty much from there on out in Exodus, it's the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Okay. So, what do you notice here? Uh, yeah. There's a lot of talk about hardening his heart. So this is like an unmistakable theme in Exodus. Right, right. So I'll, let me tell you a couple options as to how people interpret this, okay? You'll notice that we begin with, I will harden. So God is saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, I will harden his heart, and then his heart was hardened, and his heart is hardened, and remains hardened, and then he hardened his heart. There are some who would like to say, well, we don't want to say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart before Pharaoh hardened his own heart, because it sounds like God is able to just kind of take Pharaoh and remove his free will and harden Pharaoh's heart and he has no say in it, all right? And so the way they explain this is they would say that all of these instances up here are talking about something in the future that God knows is going to happen. God knows that Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. And then... Pharaoh does harden his heart, right? And all these here. So Pharaoh hardens his own heart, makes a decision by free will to harden his own heart. And then after he'd already hardened his heart, then finally the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart after Pharaoh's basically already done it. The idea is God is hardening something that was already hard. So Pharaoh made the decision to do it and God went along with it. I told you there was one more. <laughs> knew it. Okay. So that's option one. Option one, God says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart in the future. Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Then God fulfills his word by further hardening a heart that was already hard. It's a lot of hard talk. Okay. That's option number one. The one problem with option number one, yes, I am going to go through all these again, is this right here. Okay. This is a construct in Hebrew known as the divine Divine, it's in my notes. What's it called? Divine passive, the divine passive. Okay? It says it was hardened, meaning that there's an implied author behind it, meaning the, it's, it's implying that God is the one doing it. When it says that his heart was hardened, the implication is that God's the one hardening the heart. And the problem is that that comes before Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Okay? So it seems if we take this as God hardening his heart, that God was already at work hardening Pharaoh's heart before Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Okay, so that brings us to option number two. And so option number two would be that God hardens Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardens his own heart. That God's purpose is carried out through Pharaoh's own choices. Okay, yeah? Thought? I, I, I'm just, I think that's interesting. I mean, before God even starts, Pharaoh is already in rebellion and setting himself up as a god, 
over the Egyptian people. So there's there's definitely some rebellion already in Pharaoh's heart. I guess I guess I just don't want us to think of Pharaoh as being this innocent pawn on the table. I think he's exactly. definitely got some And that's a huge point in this whole conversation about free will and predestination, all right? Everybody wants to assume with free will that we're all just like these innocent little angels, and how could a wicked and evil God act upon us innocent little angels to make us do what we don't want to do? Problem is, we're all doing something that we want to do, and it's called sin. None of us is innocent. Pharaoh wasn't innocent. You know, he'd lived a long time before this. And we're going to see what Pharaoh's big sin was, and it's tied to this idea that he thought that he was a god. And if you've read the Bible, that's usually not a great place to be in your relationship with the one true God, okay? So we're going to stick with option number two, okay? And so we're going to say that, yeah, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh hardens Pharaoh's heart, that in fact, that it's one and the same thing happening at the same time, okay? So... That's option one and two. Oh, let's read, let me read for you Romans 9, 14 to 18 really quick, okay? You can just listen. This is just additional evidence for option number two. Paul takes Pharaoh and talks about him in Romans. And here's what Paul has to say about Pharaoh. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Here he's talking about, before this, he talked about how God said, I choose Jacob and not Esau. And God said that when they were still not yet born. How fair is that? God's going to choose Jacob and not Esau before they're born, okay? He says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated before they were born. What shall we say? Is there injustice in God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth so that he has mercy on whom he wills and he has hardens, he hardens whomever he wills. So if there was any question about whether or not God had a role in doing this to Pharaoh, I think that very much clears up. God is very much sovereign over Pharaoh hardening his heart. And, and that's a passage we could say a lot more about, but we're going to leave it at that, okay? So bottom line is we're going to stick with option number two. But that raises all sorts of questions for us, doesn't it? I think the first question is, how is that fair? How is it fair that God would harden, some, even, even have any part in hardening someone's heart when we're talking about eternal salvation here, right? We're talking about eternal condemnation for Pharaoh by having his heart hardened. How is that fair? Has God made me for the same purpose? That might be a question that you could get kicked up. Like, okay, so God did that to Pharaoh. He raised up Pharaoh um, just to show his power and to harden his heart. And then, you know, essentially send him to hell. Is that my destiny? Is that what God's going to do for me? What if I'm not predestined to be saved? What, what if I'm not predestined to be among the people of God? Okay, how is that fair? So let's tackle this question. Is this fair? Is God being unfair by hardening Pharaoh's heart? And I think what we have to get at behind this is we have to start asking this question of, did Pharaoh have a choice? 
Did he have a choice in all the things that happened that brought about him hardening his heart? Or was he just a robot that God has basically programmed a certain way to make certain decisions so that God can keep showing his power and keep sending plagues? Well, let's look at some situations where Pharaoh hardens his heart, okay? And I've got them on the screen here so you can follow along up here, okay? So this is after the first plague, Okay, we got the Nile, turns into blood, and here's what it says. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. Now, that's caused some people some trouble. If you've thought, like, people love to say, how'd they do that? Like, was that, like, some sort of demonic witchcraft thing that they could, you know, remember they turned their staves into, into snakes, and they turned now the Nile into blood, and they made frogs? How did they do that? Well, the answer is really easy. God did it. God let them do it. Why? Look at the result. So, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So, what happens here is that God decisively acts in the story. God lets these Egyptian magicians who don't worship him do dark black arts magic and have it actually work and the result is that Pharaoh has a choice Pharaoh can look at his magicians and say huh my magicians are able to do that so Moses you're just like a trickster you're just another magician you're able to make things appear a certain way and so I'm not going to be fooled by your magic you're not going to take your people away I'm not going to let them go so Pharaoh has a choice He has the freedom to choose how he's going to respond to his magicians replicating the plague, just like we have a freedom of choice every single day. You you woke up this morning. Do I want waffles? Do I want pancakes? You have a choice, right? But that's different than having a free will, okay? So you didn't have a free will to have any food possible this morning, did you? Because you were limited, by what was in your cupboard, what your mom bought at the grocery store, where we live in the world and what we're able to get, what you've eaten for the last 16 years limits your choices because it determines your appetite, okay? So you, you aren't going to want necessarily the traditional breakfast food that they eat in Indonesia because you haven't lived there, you haven't eaten it, it's not something you eat, Okay. But you do have a freedom to choose between a number of choices. So Pharaoh has a freedom of choice. And his choice is to see the plagues replicated and say, I'm going to harden my heart. No way you guys can't go. The next one. Exodus 8.8, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses does. All the frogs die. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Yeah. Sorry, I just got uh, with, like, with like the earlier plagues uh, and like Pharaoh, his guys being able to replicate it, um, isn't that kind of like, because I, I feel like I wouldn't be as impressed with God's like power, if it was something that I knew my guys could do too. Right. So I, I just like, like, why wouldn't there be like a higher like 
thing and then like like okay fair out I can't do that the first time like you know what I'm saying why so God wants Pharaoh's heart to be hardened yeah I understand that so that's just the whole point of it so the point is one of the ways God is letting that happen is by putting Pharaoh in circumstances where his heart is going to remain hardened and this circumstance in the first case is his magicians do the same trick and so he's going to say okay I'm not going to let you go yeah good question the second one is God the way I understand this is God listens to Pharaoh's request to get rid of the frogs. God didn't have to do that. God could have said, no way, you got frogs for three more weeks. But he doesn't. He ends the frogs, and what happens is Pharaoh says, oh, actually, the frogs are dead. Never mind. You can't go. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. He has a choice. How am I going to respond to a bunch of dead frogs? Am I going to say, gee, I wonder what's next? Or am I going to say, oh, the frogs are gone. I'm done. You know, or I'm not going to let you go. And that's what he says. A third instance, uh, here in the gnats, the magicians can't produce the plague of gnats. They tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh has a choice. Does he want to listen to his magicians? These are guys that convinced him just a couple plagues earlier and now they're saying, Pharaoh, this seems like a big deal, but something's happening in Pharaoh's heart to now where even his magician's opinion doesn't matter to him. And he has a choice. He has a choice. Do I listen to them or do I not listen? He chooses, I'm not going to listen to them. Okay? So I, I give those three to you just to show you that Pharaoh has a choice in each one of these things that ends up hardening his heart. Okay? So in each situation, his choice produces the hardness of heart that God said would be produced so that God could show his power in more plagues on Pharaoh. Okay? So is this fair? Yeah. Pharaoh had a choice. He chose things that hardened his heart, which resulted in more plagues. Now, another way we could ask, is this fair, is did Pharaoh deserve God's wrath? All right? Did Pharaoh deserve what he's going to get? And so there's actually a number of passages that we can pull out to answer that question. Exodus 9.17, listen to this. God says to Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. This sounds like pride, doesn't it? You're exalting yourself against my people. And this is where we bring in this idea that Pharaoh and the Egyptians believed that the Pharaoh was divine. They believed that he was godlike, that he was sinless while he lived, and at death he would be exempt from judgment and become a god who would preside over judgment at his death. And the way the Egyptians talked about judgment is they understood judgment as being a weighing of a person's heart. And so they pictured that when you died, your heart was put into a balance. And if your heart weighed heavier, all right, then... Um, yeah, that's right. Thank you. You're so smart. Feather of truth, right? Is it heavier or light? It has to be lighter, right? I can't remember. It's got to be the, one of the two. The weighing of the heart determines if you're going to go basically to paradise or not. And it's really interesting that throughout Exodus, they use the language of the Egyptians, that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and weighing his heart through the process, and he keeps finding that Pharaoh's heart is full of sin. The man who's supposed to not be judged, the one who's going to judge other people, the one who is in fact a God himself. Okay, so Pharaoh's doing something very bad. He's being idolatrous. He's setting himself up as a God. Okay, later on in Exodus 9, 
Uh, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. So Pharaoh himself is, is, is saying, I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. And Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord to stop that plague. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. So we see another thing about Pharaoh. He really doesn't fear the Lord. And we keep going. Exodus 9, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And then Exodus 10, 3, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Finally, Exodus 10, 16, Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. So all this is just to say, there's a lot of evidence that Pharaoh was totally guilty. God's saying you're guilty. He's saying you're exalting yourself against my people or against me. Okay? He's, Pharaoh's saying, I have sinned. I'm a sinner. Moses is saying, you don't fear the Lord your God. God is saying, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? So there's all sorts of evidence here that Pharaoh is not just like someone who's been hypnotized, like this innocent person who's been hypnotized to do exactly what God wants him to do. So Pharaoh is guilty. So God is not being unjust by hardening his heart and punishing him. Pharaoh's big sin seems to be pride, not fearing the Lord, which makes sense if you think that you are a God being challenged by a lesser God who really is the one true God, right? So what does he say when Moses first comes in? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? How proudful, prideful, how prideful of a thought is that, right? I mean, if you came to me as, you know, your pastor, and I said, well, here's, here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, you know, you really shouldn't lie in this situation. And you said to me, who's the Lord that I would want to obey him? That would seem like kind of a big deal that you said that, right? And that's exactly where Pharaoh's heart is at. Pharaoh's saying, who's God that I should obey him? I'm God, Okay. Um, So it seems to me that God hardens Pharaoh's heart not by hypnotizing him or making him unable to choose what he really wants to do. Instead, he hardens Pharaoh's heart by putting an already very proud person into situations where he is being told to humble himself. And the effect is exactly what God says is going to happen, that Pharaoh hardens his heart, just as God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Does that make sense? Kind of. (laughs) Let me say that again. The way I see it is Pharaoh is a very proud person. God wants to harden Pharaoh's heart. God puts Pharaoh into situations where his pride is going to be challenged, like being told, let my people go, let all your slaves go. Pharaoh, in essence, as a hard-hearted, proud person, does exactly what you'd expect a hard-hearted, proud person to do and says, no, who is the Lord? I'm not going to obey him. I'm going to stick to my gun. I'm going to do what I want. And thus, his heart is hardened. And God did it because God put him in those situations. Yeah. And that's exactly what people struggle with in the sense that they don't think that they've done anything wrong, that they're a good person, that, you know, it's, they don't need saving. I mean, that, that was in one of the conversations that I had with my coworkers this past week is, you know, that this is all kind of well and good if, if you assume or start with the, you know, I need to be saved. Yeah. We, we have this really rosy picture of who we are and, and, People who don't know the don't know the gospel have to have that changed 
you know, we are not good people. We are not full of righteousness in our hearts. We sin all the time. We are all guilty. And that, that has to be driven home even in conversations today, not just this particular situation here. Exactly. And that's why we say, like, when we talk about what is the gospel, step number one is, I'm a sinner. Right? Because there is no gospel apart from, I am a sinner. Right? Okay, excellent point. All right, so what about me? I want to bring this home to you guys now, okay? What about me? Am I a vessel created for God's wrath? Do I have a choice of where I'll go in life? And so let me talk about it for just a few minutes here. Um, why don't you guys all stand up, kind of shake it out for a little bit? I think I've lulled you into a complete stupor, so stand up. You can do it. No one's shaking, shaking, shaking. All right. Get the blood flowing to the brain, especially the brain. Do whatever you have to do to get the brain working. Here we go. So this is really important, right? I mean, these questions that we're asking are really important. We're getting to this point of, well, what about me now? Okay, so we can talk about Pharaoh, this guy who lived, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. But let's talk about you and your relationship with God. Are you, you know, do you need to worry that you are not predestined to go to heaven? Well, let's talk about it. First thing is, the Bible does not teach what is called determinism. Determinism is simply this idea that fate controls your destiny, which is this, you know, a wonderful premise for so many movies and, like, romantic comedies, you know, like, fate, you know, someone found the letter, they, whatever, they found it, they brought two people together from across the world, that's called fate, you had no choice, and it usually ends in love. But it could also end in your horrible, horrible destruction, right? If fate really is real. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that you have no choice in life, that there's no fighting what's going to happen to you. What the Bible teaches is you have the freedom to choose. You have a freedom of choice, not a freedom of will, but a freedom of choice. And that's why the Bible says things like um, Deuteronomy 30, 19, I have set before you life and death, therefore choose life. That would be really deceptive of God to put that in the Bible if you weren't really free to choose life. That's why Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. How deceptive would that be of Jesus if you really didn't have the ability to choose to come and follow him? So everyone has freedom to choose life, to choose Jesus. And the Bible teaches predestination. The idea that God has chosen you from before the beginning of the world. All right, verses that refer to that would be Ephesians 1 and 4 and 5. It says, um, essentially, as a paraphrase, we have been chosen before the foundation of the world. We have been predestined for adoption as God's children. That before you were born, you were chosen to go into God's family. So the Bible holds both of these things. And this is where, for some of us, we just give up. We're like, well, logically, that doesn't make any sense because if God chose me before the beginning of the world, then I don't really have the freedom to choose it. And when we do that, we go to a logical place that is not supported by the Bible. And we put ourselves above Scripture, and we say, well, I know better than what God knows. So everyone really is just robots, and we are all determined by faith. And we're contradicting scripture by trying to uphold scripture, right? We're like, 
Bible says predestination, and then we contradict the freedom of choice by saying, here's what predestination means. So we have to be careful that we don't do that. Another thing that we have to realize when we talk about predestination um, is that no one ever talks about the freedom of God to do what he wants to do. We're also concerned about, well, that means that I'm not free to do what I want to do if I'm predestined. But no one's concerned that God is free to do what he wants to do. Right? Like, so even in like, this conversation about Pharaoh and Moses, or Pharaoh and God hardening his heart, we're like, poor Pharaoh. That's not fair. But we don't say, doesn't God have the right to do what he wants with created beings that he has created? It's essentially what Paul says in Romans. Okay, so I'll just throw that kind of into the mix. Um, but let me do my best job at explaining what the Bible is doing when it talks about predestination and when it talks about freedom of choice. Here's what I would say. When the Bible talks about freedom of choice, it is talking to everybody. Sinful humanity, every single person. The Bible addresses every single person who's ever lived and says, choose life. Choose Jesus. You're going to go to hell if you don't. Choose life. What the Bible doesn't say to everybody is, some of you are predestined, some of you aren't. It's all hopeless. Predestination comes into the conversation when we talk to those who have already accepted Christ. The topic of predestination is one that's discussed with those who are in the church. So you have everybody being exhorted to choose life, and then you have those who have chosen life, and the Bible goes over to them and it says, you know what? Do you remember that day when you chose Jesus? God chose you before the beginning of the world to make that decision. It wasn't based on anything that you did. It was because you have a God who loves you so much that before you were even born, he chose that you would be a member of his family. The Bible doesn't go over to those who reject it and say, do you know what? Before you were even born, you were chosen to go to hell. That's not the message that we get from the Bible. Consistently, predestination is told to those who are already in the church with the intended effect that we would go, what an amazing God I have. That none of this was due to what I did, that God did this purely out of his love and his grace and his mercy for me. And for those who say, I don't want anything to do with that God, the Bible continues to say, repent, choose life, come over here, join this family. The invitation is open. Does that help as you think about that at all? Any questions? Let me, let me clear up any questions on that. Okay. Does, that does that go back to your point where um, not all choices are available to us? I mean, if we've been sinning or in this pattern of sin since birth, you know, we, we can't really choose God mm-hmm. in, in the way... We don't really have that choice available to us because our hearts are hardened. It's not one of the available choices. And and therefore God, in predestining us, he gives us that moment where that choice becomes one that we would actually consider through suffering, through whatever, you know, some convincing message, through through somebody else's life that we, I don't know, it's that... Yeah, I would... um, No, I do think it is interwoven. I would be careful in how I phrase that because I don't want to compromise the freedom of choice that we have throughout our whole life. 
but at the same time, it's very clear that going down a certain path makes making that choice harder than if we didn't go down that certain path, right? So distancing ourselves from God in every way, shape, and form that we can makes the ability to make that choice more and more minute as we go down that path. And it takes, you know, for some, like an Apostle Paul experience of being knocked off his horse and blinded by the Lord Jesus Christ in order to turn his life around and bring him back in the way that he needed to go. Yeah. And that other passage in Romans where God, I mean, Romans 1, where God said he turned them over to their own passions and lusts. You know, it's like, he's just letting the consequences of their choices play out and, you know, okay, go that way. You know, right. And, and they get to the point where they exchange the truth of God for a lie and they, they set up all these other idols to follow after and they're less likely to turn around on their own. Right, right, yeah. Well, let's um, just conclude here, all right? Um, So here's the question for you guys. Really simple. Have you accepted the offer that God has given you, okay? Have you chosen life? Have you come to him who says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest? That's the choice that all of us have to make in this life. And if you have, if you've made that choice to choose Jesus and to follow Jesus as your Savior, it's not because you are morally superior to everyone else around you. Like, I was able to make that choice because I'm better than you. No. You were able to make that choice because you have a God who is gracious and loving and chose you before the beginning of the world. And even when you made that choice, it wasn't even you that was making that choice. It was God's Spirit in you doing what God predestined you to do from before the beginning of the world and to choose a life that would be worth living and a life that would lead to eternal life, that would get you adopted into his family, that would bring good for you and give you a purpose and assures you that because you're part of God's family, you will remain part of God's family until the day he brings you into his heavenly kingdom. That's one of the sweetest things that we get from predestination. We get this assurance that if God chose me before I was born to be saved, then I'm not going to be lost in the process. And that's not an excuse to go and do whatever you want, because if you go and do whatever you want, then you're showing you never really accepted it in the first place. That's another sermon. I'm not going to go there. Um, For you, if you have not chosen this, if you're sitting there thinking, gee, I'm not sure I've really chosen God's offer of salvation, well, that brings us back to Pharaoh. And we probably have a similar heart problem that Pharaoh had. God said to Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself against my people. You do not fear the Lord. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? You have a pride problem if you have not accepted God's offer of salvation. You think you don't need God, who is the Lord, that I should obey him. You don't fear the Lord. Because the testimony of Pharaoh's life and what happened to him doesn't scare you. If you can look at Pharaoh and see what God did to a man who hardened his heart and rejected him, he rejected God, and and be unafraid, then you have no fear of the Lord. You are suffering from the same disease that plagued Pharaoh. You do not yet fear the Lord. And we need to hear James 4 that says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
So how long will you refuse to humble yourself before God? That's the question I want to leave, leave with us today. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before God? Pride is the great enemy of all of us, whether we've chosen to follow Christ or not chosen to follow Christ. Um, so it's something that we all need to fight. So let's close by just praying that God would help us to be humble. Our Heavenly Father, I know we've covered a lot this morning, and so I pray that the, the final point would be the one that we take most with us. The final point of uh, whether or not we have humbled ourselves before the Lord or whether we continue to not fear you, God. I know that all of us wrestle with not fearing you in instances, and so I pray that you would drive far from our hearts the hardness that causes us to not fear you and to set ourselves up as a God in your place and bring us in the right relationship with you, confirming the fact that you did, in fact, choose us before the foundation of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.